The smoke-filled back room, where deals are struck and political fortunes are made. Well, in Philadelphia, right after the signing of the Constitution, the most important smoke-filled back room was in the drawing room on the second floor at 224 South 3rd Street. And the hostess was one of the most influential people in early America. Today, we'll be talking with Samantha Snyder about Elizabeth Willing Powell, her political power, her husband, and how she saved the country. This is too complicated for history. is Samantha Snyder, a writer and the reference librarian at George Washington's Mount Vernon. Hey, Samantha, thanks for being here with us. Hi, Lynn. I'm very happy to join you today. So I'm really excited because you're going to talk about your favorite historical lady today. So why don't you tell everyone who that is? Sure. My my favorite historical lady of all time is a woman named Elizabeth Willing Powell. She is a Philadelphian lady who was alive from through most of the 18th century and into the 19th century. And she was a very well-known figure amongst the political world, amongst the social world of Philadelphia. She was she was quite a superstar and one of her she was very close with George Washington and New Numerous other founding figures. You know, talking about important Philadelphian. See, this makes me excited for this episode. <laughs> yeah, because Philly is the best. Yes, it is. Hey, I'm from Pittsburgh. Lynn. I've grown so fond yes, of it. Yes, it is, Lynn. <laughs> it is, Lynn. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, can you tell us a little bit about like where she, like who she, where she was born, who she, like what, was she from an important family? Was she, did she like marry into an important family? What was her a little bit of her early life like? So Elizabeth was born into a very important family and did eventually marry into an important family. But her family was the Willing family. They were a uh, merchant family. Her father was one of the most important merchants in Philadelphia. He he was a part of the triangle trade. So he was doing a lot of shipping from, from Barbados and the West Indies and England, um, including enslaved people. So that was where part of the wealth of the family came from. But she um, was one of 10 siblings too. She was sibling number six. So her family was a quite a quite a dynasty of the time. And she was very popular, as were her sisters. She was... Um, she had five other sisters and four brothers. So then she eventually did marry into an important family, the Powell family, who were also a, a merchant family. Um, and and yeah, so she was she was important from the start and quite popular from the start. She really was the middle child, wasn't she? I mean, <laughs> she in a way really that was. She really was, which I love. Once I kind of figured that out and learned more about her, I was like, oh. Oh, I can see the middle childness in it all. She definitely was quite a powerful woman, but I think she probably had to to embody that very young to make herself right. heard. Uh, so, so yeah, so she was definitely lived up to a middle child 
stereotype. That, I think it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> At a time like that in in you know in the 18th century Philadelphia for these important families was what was like the social atmosphere like? So like her coming up in as part of this family would she have been paid a you said she was popular, but like, would she have been paid attention to? Would there have been like stuff written about her? Um, like, what? Yeah, what? Because I'm imagining in my head like the 1920s for, for whatever reason. Oh like, yeah, you like reported like, in the papers. Yeah, and like stuff. the papers like, and things six. like exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, was there that yeah. kind of stuff going on, or was it like was like the like the community a little bit different, or the press a little bit different back then? So for her, the the community was a little different back then. I would say the comparison to a page six or written up in the newspapers would actually be reading other people's letters and seeing if they're talked about in those letters. And she and her sisters were talked about quite a bit amongst um, some of the kind of younger men of the of the town, which all of these men grew up to be very important figures. Uh, Francis Hopkinson, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, uh, John Dickinson. Benjamin Rush, all of these Philadelphian men, um, but especially the uh, soldiers in the French and Indian War, they came about, that all started when Elizabeth and her sisters were really coming of age and they were hanging out with them quite a bit. Uh, and one of the soldiers called them the three goddesses. It was her and her two older wow. sisters. So they were quite popular <laughs> with them. Um, and uh, kind of how they would have come into they're like coming to their own and and socializing with people would have started um, mostly at assemblies. So assemblies were basically one large dance where everybody would come. You had to have a subscription and the Willing family did subscribe. So when they were teenagers, they would have gone and started dancing with other people and meeting meeting other eligible men <laughs> and different things like that so so yeah so they that's that's really how it would have been mostly other people's letters gotcha, um, gotcha. so a question that just that just popped in my mind is we talked about how she's a middle child and you know she became very well known what happened to her other sisters were they obviously they were goddesses so you know <laughs> they were as attractive as she was but you know, were they the same level of success as she was? Her sisters, I would say, achieved a similar level of ex- success, but not to the to the level she did. Her sisters all had children, which actually in the 18th century really was a route that women would take. Elizabeth lost all of her children, so she really had a different a different path in life to become this kind of social figure, this sort of queen of Philadelphia versus her sisters. But they, um, one of her sisters is a woman named Mary Willing Bird, who was a large plantation owner in Southern Virginia. Another sister, Anne Willing Francis, was one of the women who helped start the Ladies Society of Philadelphia, I believe it's called, who who compiled all of that money to donate to the Continental Army in 1780. Um, so they they were popular as well, and they were all very close. Um, but but I would say they were a little bit in her shadow throughout the the 18th century. That's a curious scenario that you know that she lost her children. It wasn't like by choice that she didn't have kids. Right. No, that no, she, not that at all. She lost her children, and then by virtue of having that sort of space in her life, ended up achieving a lot, or doing a lot, or becoming influential. Curious on that. De- definitely, definitely, and that's one of the things that, as I've studied her and learned more about women's history in general, that's kind of something I've realized. I'm like, oh, it 
it's interesting to think about what her life would have been like had she not lost her children. Like, would she have led a less public life? Would she have still had the the hold she had on society if she had had children? Um, and it's not to say she wouldn't have still had that sort of sparkling, commanding personality, but it would have been very different to have, I mean, she had four children um, all pass mm. away. So to have four children running around their house would have been such a different environment than than her and her husband and their um, four uh, the four servants. Um, alone. Yeah, because yeah, so. a lot of people, family focus went towards child rearing. Like that, they were a reflection on you. Yes. They were, you know, they were something that you worked towards and worked on at that level of society yes. at the time. Lynn and I have had conversations about how um, George Washington and Martha Washington's lives may have cha- changed had their daughter not died. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, they would have that could have changed. Absolutely. It would have changed the dynamic of Martha in the world. Like it would have been they were a very children were we think of parents today as more attentive to their kids, but children were very important, especially at that yes. like upper level of upper cross yes. society at the time. Yes, because they carried on the legacy right. of the family and and I mean that that and it it um Elizabeth did you could tell her whole life she definitely did want to be a mother and and did kind of pick and choose throughout her many nieces and nephews who she was going to spend the most time sort of fostering their their place in society and um her her siblings she ended up i think at by the time she was around 43, 44, she had, I think, 29 nieces and nephews. Family Uh, is prolific. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. And the wild thing is, too, as I've been studying her and reading all of her letters, there's so many names that I had to make a family tree. Early in my time doing research, I already have an Ancestry.com subscription, (laughs) so I made this whole family tree to figure out who was who because it was just like too much too many names and she lived so long that she's writing to generation after generation of people so they they definitely loved that trend of of naming everybody the same thing that's exactly what i was about to ask did they recycle names (laughs) because that was absolutely with, with martha and george washington that could just make your head explode I remember there's so Martha is Martha Dandridge Custis Washington, and she had, I believe, a niece named Martha Washington Dandridge. So like they swapped it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. And it's yes, maddening. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. And there's since there were so many willing siblings, each sibling named their children after the other willing siblings. And then some of the children married their cousins. So then there's some duplicate last names and things just get really I, weird. And so, I feel like we've gone in it's, the complete it's, opposite direction today. That's like, I want to name my child something that's I never know. been a name before. I will right. name him Papaya. Exactly. And then, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or microwaves. Exactly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Or whatever uh, Elon Musk named his um, child, yeah, the yeah, like, well, string of letters and numbers. CX, Vi, Aeon, Flux, positive, negative, sign. <laughs> whatever the hell the kid's name. Yeah, yell yeah, it out when yeah. you're mad, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. A little bit different back in the 18th exactly. century. So, so, a little bit. She little didn't bit. have kids, but we, didn't, we haven't brought up um, her husband who was also, uh, you know, 
uh, an important guy. Yes, yes, he was. Um, her husband's name is Samuel Powell. Um, and Samuel was just a couple years older than her. And he came from a merchant family as well. He was the oldest son of the family and he had three sisters. Um, and so he uh, was very well educated, went to the Academy of Philadelphia, which was the precursor to University of Pennsylvania. So he was quite well educated and went to school with two of Elizabeth's brothers. So I don't know if they were friends or not. I've never figured that out. But there weren't that many people who lived in Philadelphia <laughs> at that time. Uh, but he, so he ended up going on a grand tour of Europe, which was very um, common for upper crust men to do. And he, his tour lasted three times as long as a normal, <laughs> normal tour. So that means he was traveling all across Europe and England. He went to Italy and Switzerland and Holland and France and all over the place. But he definitely developed quite a reputation as being this learned gentleman. And they, Samuel and Elizabeth, ended up getting married in 1769. And um, they really had a special relationship. They, they seemed to be equals in a lot of ways, which was kind of somewhat rare for that, that like period. A power couple. Yes, a the, power couple. I often call them a political power like couple. The George I, and Amal Clooney of, of the time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think Amal Clooney is more of a, a badass than George <laughs> Clooney. So I think the same kind of goes for Elizabeth <laughs> and Samuel. No offense to Samuel. <laughs> or George Clooney, I guess. <laughs> or, yeah, or George Clooney, I guess. <laughs> If you how, happen to be a listener, they? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. George, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, you ask how yeah, old? How were old they, were they, they when were... they got married? Because I think I remember you telling me something about Samuel being a bachelor and being kind of pushed to get yes. married because you know, yes. you didn't want to be a bachelor so, back then. <laughs> no, he um, he managed to, although he had a crush on a girl in England named Esther DeBere, who married a man named Joseph Reed, and she, oh, they lived in Philadelphia. Oh, Esther. Oh, I know. <laughs> and she's so, she's pretty mean about him in her letters, and it's very <laughs> sad. Uh, oh. She's like, because she's secretly in a relationship with Joseph Reed, so she's kind of, Samuel's kind of trying to court her and it's not working because she's betrothed to someone else but it's very funny but yes when he gets back he lives with one of his best friends and his best friend's wife and at first his best friend is really excited um his name is john morgan he was a very powerful doctor in philadelphia started the first medical school in philadelphia um but John is very excited. They're going to basically pal around together like they did when they were abroad. But then a few months later, he writes to a friend in England and he's like, well, Samuel still won't leave, basically. And he's like, I really want, he's building two houses, but he's not planning to live in them. He seems open to the idea of marriage but he's not making any steps to do it. So, so yes, he, he kind of wanted to be an eternal bachelor, it seems. Um, and Elizabeth herself was seemingly a little bit similar. She turned down a few proposals throughout the 1760s oh. before finally saying yes to, to Samuel. 
somehow. I'd still, I've not figured out how. Not to so. go on a tangent, but is this Joseph Reed no. as in like George Washington's aide de camp, Joseph Reed? Yes, wow. it is. It oh, is man. indeed his aide de camp. That guy and just, <laughs> yeah. is, a, is, a, is a guy. Um, yes. <laughs> 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 well, the the only thing that I know of, I mean, really about him is uh, specifically is that at one point there was another general during the war that was trying to undermine Washington named General Charles Charles Lee. Mm-hmm. And yes. he was writing to Joseph Reed about how he wasn't going to rendezvous at this particular time. And Washington caught <laughs> wind of it by opening a letter that addressed to Joseph and eventually writing him and be yes. like, listen, man, I see you're trying to undercut me. What the hell, basically. That's his, that's his claim to fame as Washington's aide de camp. Yep. 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 <laughs> Sounds like a great, great couple. You know? Great. Yeah. You know, yeah. Samuel, yeah. Samuel's better yeah. without Esther. I think so. I think so. And they seemed to socialize when they were both in Philly, both couples. And I'm like, did they ever talk about the fact that Samuel was pining after Esther years prior? Like, I have to wonder if that ever came up. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. He, Samuel must have been pretty. Yeah. I mean, he must have. There was something special about him if she's turning all these other men down. I mean, she seems yes. like she was quite a catch. I mean, I imagine he yes, was, too, but I, I feel so. like she was probably more of a catch. <laughs> Oh, yes, I think so. I don't think he had the same luck in relationships as as she did, although she kind of like Nellie Custis. Nellie fends off a lot of rumors about engagements before she's actually engaged to Lawrence Lewis. Elizabeth had the same problem with one one rumor that she was engaged to John Dickinson. And that more so I think came about she it was as widely talked of in Philadelphia as it was in Southern Virginia somehow because her sister must have sent this letter asking if she's engaged to John Dickinson and she says no and I think it might have come about because she was um, very complimentary of his letters um, from a Pennsylvania farmer which was a political publication and she I think she was quite passionate about many things and it might have come off a little bit like she was trying to marry him i guess oh, I um know. just out of con- for context for our listeners letters at the time weren't terribly private things right no no they they could easily get intercepted or lost uh they if you trusted someone to carry a letter for you you don't know what they're going to do with it um but they yeah they they were not nearly as private as we would think of now um yeah because i imagine yeah when you're saying like oh everyone's reading each other's letters and she wrote a letter and that's how the rumor got started it seems a little bit intrusive yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like someone was listening (laughs) on a phone call or something but yeah (laughs) people often wrote letters with the assumption that they may be read by other people besides other people yeah yeah i love the fact that that back then gossip was just as kind of juicy as it is today oh i i know and when i figured out kind of when i unpacked the 18th century language i was like oh wait somehow this rumor of her engagement went all the way down to like the Williamsburg area, I would guess. And I was like, man, people really were gunning for her to get married. (laughs) And isn't that interesting why they were so interested in that? Why they're so concerned? Yeah. Is it? It's it's so explained. Like, I feel so natural, though. Like that. That's a famous ish person. Right. Like we do that all the time now. Pete yeah, Davidson like is, I've seen Pete, uh, I, not to, to, to 
pinpoint when we're recording this episode, but I have seen like 30 <laughs> pictures of Pete Davidson with Kim Kardashian over the last week. Yeah, you're right. And like six articles yes, about whether they're dating or not. And I'm like, what? who cares? <laughs> but it's the same thing. And you thing. know, I think, I think, I think the, that Elizabeth, because the more and more I find about her and her sisters written up about all throughout the early 1760s, they were very, they were, I think, of the the top of the the powerful ladies of that era, the mm-hmm. popular and like eligible ladies. So I think Elizabeth, especially as she continued on not getting married, I think people were like, what, what does this mean? Like, she's so great. And she's so, yeah, so... They were. She was a bit of a celebrity, I think, in a way. Yeah, and there, like, like you said, there weren't a lot of people. So <laughs> no, there weren't. No, there were really options. So <laughs> yeah, and I think it's so interesting that she and Samuel would not have ever like been together from 1760 to the end of 1767 because he was in Europe. So there's no sort of like, oh, did they like start? talking to each other for a couple of years it's like no he gets back and then a year and a half later they're married so something must have had her change her mind about getting married in him mm-hmm. he's a special guy apparently so, yeah yeah so so he so, they after anyway. they get married they move on like they continue to actually move up in society right like together as a, I mean, they're pretty high up yes. to begin with, but they, they continue to accomplish things. They don't just sort of like rest yes. on the laurels, like bet on dog races and, 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 <laughs> no, and like, no. just generally hang, <laughs> which you, which you do. A lot of people did. Yeah, they definitely, um, they, they definitely continue to rise in the ranks in society and they, they buy a house, um, a beautiful townhouse that actually still exists. It's a historic house museum in Philadelphia. So, and it's called the Powell House. And you might have been there before, Sam. And I might have been there before. I might have even gotten to stay overnight there before. Uh, that was head. So cool. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> Sorry, that's probably so loud. No. <laughs> On a couch in what probably was their kitchen. <laughs> Sorry, Kayla, you'll you'll be listening. <laughs> Every historian is jealous, uh, don't worry. <laughs> yes, yeah. No. And uh yeah, so I, I got to stay there, which was wonderful. But um no no creepy hauntings that's so that i guess that's a good thing but also that's unfortunate although but, i could see but, a scenario where it would go ter- terribly wrong where the ghost of elizabeth powell comes back and she's like listen i've read your manuscript here's where everything is wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything is wrong you got this wrong you got this wrong. she's like i have some notes and like, <laughs> yeah. she's just flipping through yeah. pages <laughs> yes just like page one page two uh, yeah yeah and and like forces me to rewrite it with her in front of me like you will rewrite this and you will do it yeah. now and like, right <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway yes they um they build this or they buy a home and it's actually just down the street from where she grew up which is kind of fun that it was all she lived on third street for um almost 60 years on the same street. Um, but this house is beautiful. And with his money and the things he brought back from his time abroad. So he brought back beautiful paintings and 
statues and and was always buying the best furniture. They really developed this this beautiful home that was very much a reception space for just about anybody and everybody in Philadelphia. Um, and one really special part about their house that was very rare for that era was they had a ballroom in their house. So that gave them a level up to start uh, entertaining people a lot easier than having people always have to go to an assembly and stuff like that. They came to the Powell's house. So like a little private club. Yeah. Like a little private club. I like that. Mm. They really are the power couple (laughs) of Philadelphia, aren't they? They really are. They really are the power couple. Um, I laid out documents for a tour the other day, one of a letter of his and one of a letter of hers. And I didn't say anything. I just did it just because it it fit with the theme of the tour. Um, But people were like, oh, were they related? I was like, yes, they are the political power couple of Philadelphia. (laughs) Um, Were they related? I'm like, well. (laughs) In a fashion. In a fashion. They were not. So I will say they were not cousins. They were not related in this. That actually is a good question. In a very twisted way. Yes. For marriage is anything. But were they related? It wasn't uncommon back then. For even first cousins. It was not. If you have a family fortune. You want to make sure you yeah. keep it in the family, and you want to make you sure you keep it. it. <laughs> yeah, if you're <laughs> the bloodline, a, a family fortune, and no understanding of inheritable genetic conditions. Yes, right, that's exactly. That's exactly. What could go wrong? Yes. What could go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Samuel actually has a pretty successful political career, right? He does. Samuel does have a successful political career. He is first elected to kind of some local political positions. He's in the Common Council. Uh, But then he becomes mayor of Philadelphia, which might not sound like it was that big of a deal now. We think of mayors a little differently now. But they were very much um, powerful figures in the city. So he he was the last mayor under the, the first Pennsylvania charter. And then 13 years later, he was appointed the first mayor under the the new charter. So after the war and the and the Pennsylvania becoming a state, I guess. Yeah, they, and Philadelphia, yeah, so. this is the uh, the chip on my shoulder as a Philadelphian, was very important at the time. Arguably it more was, important than New York. Yeah. 100% <laughs> agree. I have developed such a affinity and, and realization that Philly was so important and had more people in it than New York, had better plays, had better art, more powerful figures. I think Philly was far exactly. To be the mayor of Philadelphia is, you know, a big deal. A big deal. Big deal. Exactly. Yes, it's a very big deal. You're right. You're right. And and he he does become Speaker of the State Senate years later. So he also hits state politics eventually. But he he never served in a national political position, which I've always found kind of interesting because he was so involved in politics and political knowledge. But he had so close with so many uh, politicians, but he just never, never took that step to, to join that. And I, I don't really know why, but he seemed to live a very uh, full life regardless. So sorry for the interruption, but we're going to take a brief break now for a word from our sponsors. So for this is just your opinion as, as an expert on Elizabeth Powell. Do you think she sort of had a little bug in his ear and would talk to him about political issues while he was in office? And you think they would talk things out and she would have an influence on him? I I think so. I think she would have an influence on him. There's There's not a lot of, you know, 
primary sources from that period between the two of them, but she was so intelligent and he was so intelligent and seemed to really admire her mind in in a way. And she admired his and she was very knowledgeable about politics, even if she didn't like to admit it in letters Mm -hmm. to people. Other people, of course, talk about how smart she was and how she's one of the she has some of the most political, like best political knowledge that they've ever seen. And so, yes, I would say she probably did, considering she uh, was so influential on George Washington years later, I think. I, I was going to say, husband. there's yeah. there's precedent yeah. 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 <laughs> for her precedent. expressing like, her opinion and having influence. <laughs> yes, in, 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 for, yeah. for, you know, kind of the, the top guy in the United States, like in the early United States. Yeah, wait, States. could you just to summarize really but, quick what she did? There's a very specific incident that, yes. uh, that, that, we're, yes, that we're referencing. Yes. Could you share yes. that with our yes. listeners? So, yes. Yeah, so um, the kind of peak moment of Elizabeth Powell's influence in, in politics, either like local state or national level is when her very dear friend George Washington is deciding whether or not he wants to serve a second term in office. And he's very, very on the fence and is leaning towards not serving a second term. And she, after seemingly conversation after conversation with him, finally just decides to write him a very strongly worded letter. And like we were saying, letters weren't private. So she kind of did this, I think, as a little bit of a political tool, too, that if someone saw it, they'd be like, oh, my God, like he, he what is he doing? Um, and and so it's almost like he had to listen to her once she wrote this letter. But it's it's an amazing letter. It's it's full of just like reason after reason why he should serve a second term she she's very um targets his emotions and his insecurities and all sorts of things it's it's a really powerful letter and i like to think that it was the final reason the final thing that made him think okay i need to do this again so but that's that's just my opinion well, it did happen <laughs> but, fairly in timeline wise it would make sense yes yes it it does yes i should say it did happen right before the election process for the second term started. So that November, and she even makes that very clear. She's like, we've talked about this so much. And I thought by this point, it's so close to the, to the start of, of everything. Like I thought you would have gotten over this by now, basically. <laughs> so, so and he had a lot of his yeah. male colleagues yeah. and male politicians trying to talk him in, into running, but they were using different strategies than, than her. Y- yes, they were, they were definitely, she had the ability to, to, target his emotions in a way that they didn't they they were having to and and he probably listened to her in a different way that he wouldn't have for them because it was less political gain for her than it was for them even though she was very focused on continuing like saving the country um it was she could also use her her status as a woman in his life a friend a female friend to 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 target the emotions behind the politics because yeah, george and martha and sam and elizabeth they were like couple friends like they were like they, they were they like were. oh you know like we'll have dinner with you guys on a regular basis kind of couple friends like that's a yes yes they were yeah they were definitely couple friends which i love i think that's really fun and something that's kind of not talked about a lot in the grand scheme of elizabeth and george and their friendship it's more focusing on them and i wouldn't say 
Samuel and, and Martha were super close. <laughs> right. But uh, but I think as a as a whole, they were very much um, couple friends. And Samuel and George had quite a friendship too, uh, based around um, agriculture. They both loved farming, and so uh, I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, they have a that, lot of com- do they have a yeah. lot of conversation about seeds? Am I remembering that correctly? <laughs> They do. They do have a lot of conversations about seeds. Are they farmer nerds? <laughs> they are farmer nerds. <laughs> and actually, the other day, I just found a letter when I was doing some some internet sleuthing where um, George writes to Samuel uh, in in the 1790s. Samuel gets this fancy new threshing machine, and he's very proud of it. And I knew that they went to go see it because George writes about it in his diary. But turns out they they were supposed to go on a different day and they don't go on this day because George writes to Samuel and says, hey, I just remembered that I have to get back to the city by two o'clock and you don't want to leave till 11. Then he says something like, query, do you think we have enough time to see it in full operation before we have to go back to the city? And he's like, please answer in the the affirmative or the negative. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so it's like the I'll, nerdiest letter I've all ever of read. I love stating like query in a in a <laughs> It reminds me of like the, the little I'm, kids. Do you like me? Check yes or no. <laughs> That's basically what the letter seems like. And if only there was a reply, because I can only imagine Samuel being like, answer. No, that's not enough time. And they do end up leaving much earlier. And they don't get back until much wow. later. So I'm like, clearly they needed more time to stand and stare. Listen, well, you got to inspect the thresher. Farming. I mean, how are you going <laughs> to exactly. know if it's a good thresher if you don't thoroughly inspect the thresher? Does it thresh? If you don't thoroughly inspect it, I have no it idea what a thresher hours. does. <laughs> zero, right? I don't zero either. clue what that machine is for. I don't either. Don't <laughs> There's agriculture experts <laughs> listening the to this. Do you want to like look up what a thresher is and maybe give a brief description? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um, i feel like if i if i ever you. wanted to think of samuel and george as sort of dads you know sort of like the you know quintessential yeah. dad or looking nerd. at their like, lawn with jeans and tucked in polo shirts <laughs> yes. yes no belts no belts and no belts no no but new balance shoes they've got to have okay so we have shoes. an answer a threshing machine is a piece of farming equipment that threshes grain unuseful um oh it removes the seeds of the stalks and the husks so it separates the stuff like the the that's uh yeah cool yeah <laughs> totally need cool. hours to, to watch cool. that yeah okay. Oh, uh, yeah cool. okay all right okay oh man i'm just imagining them in play that's <laughs> awesome uh, god <laughs> i know i know i know that's the best part about history is just making these people people um, so um relatable so, so i want to get to there's a really like some, yeah. sort of like their couple friendship has like a um a sad end to it a little bit which yeah. which um and frustrating one as well a very frustrating very frustrating i know exactly yeah. what you're talking Lynn, about could you give us a little bit um, of a heads up on just before we hand it off to sam to describe how they what what is like yellow fever the part that i learned about early i was working on the martha washington papers and you know i get this le- i see this letter from elizabeth powell um and she said you know she had been invited to mount vernon 
to stay with the Washingtons. I believe she's the she and, and Samuel were the only ones invited to stay because yes. there was a yellow yeah. fever epidemic and everyone was getting out of the city because it's, you know, easily transmissible. And so they invited their couple friends, Elizabeth and Samuel, uh, to Mount Vernon to, you know, sort of wait out the epidemic. And you can explain, Sam, what what Samuel's response was to that. Yes. The the, the oh, I just shake my head. And with everything happening with with COVID over these past two years and this sort of stuff, I'm like, he would have he should be I just oh um he he says he doesn't want to go because he thinks that everybody is slightly overreacting and that they are safer in the city, surrounded by doctors who know how to to treat the disorder versus going states away to where there's no threat of yellow fever. That's what I don't understand. But what's very sweet and very sad is that he says he wants Elizabeth to make her own decision because it's a matter that could affect her life and his happiness. So it's like he doesn't want her to, to die. And so she decides to stay because she says she doesn't want to leave him because if he was to get sick, it would affect her life and or his life and her happiness. But then sadly, she ends up going to her brother's house in the Western lands of, Pen- of Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. And Samuel catches yellow fever and passes away um, less than three weeks after Elizabeth sends that letter. So, Is, was there any political yeah. or work-related reason for him to stay? Like, did he need to be there? Or was it just sort of like, I'm being kind of lazy in my... It's, you know, it's very weird. There's mixed stories about whether he needed to be there for political reasons or if he just was staying to stay. Um, he was Speaker of the State Senate at that point and actually writes a letter a couple weeks prior to a very, very infamous doctor named Benjamin Rush asking about the yellow fever and if he should shut the the city down, basically. So clearly he had quite a sway in politics at that point. And Benjamin Rush is like, yes, I, shut I, it I down. Just want to point out <laughs> that, that is, is the term the term for Benjamin Rush infamous? Is that is that the right he, versus yes, famous? Infamous in that he was the uh the the um I don't know if our listeners have heard of bloodletting, but he was the the that was his method of he would let blood for treating like, most things treating right. most things literally like everything he was like oh gotta let some blood uh but um yeah samuel stays and he goes out to richland where she was that was the name of her brother's estate very very british to name your estates uh his name was richard so oh <laughs> richard, richland, richland. Oh my. okay that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he goes out once, but then he doesn't come back and then, and then he dies. So, yeah. I mean, whether or not, I didn't mean to call him lazy. It's more like the, you know how, when there's like a hurricane coming to like a, you know, that's hitting the Eastern seaboard yes. and they're like, everyone evacuate. And then there's a subset of people who are just like, no, right. Yes, For that- whatever reason, like there's a weird psychological something happening with those folks that like, I'd rather just stay. Yes. And, and yes. sort of be part of like and try to ride it out rather than leave even though that seems like the logical decision 
is to just get away. That's out of kind of that's kind of how I read into it a little bit. Is that he he just kind of was like, well, I'll just stay. I'll just protect myself, but I want my wife to go be safe, even though I'm not going to join her. Though I've seen mentions of family members saying he meant to join her. He he did join her, but then went back to the city. It's very it's a little weird. I don't quite know how it all unfolded, but then he does get taken to their Western home called Powelton, and that's where he dies. So Powelton, (laughs) which of course, Powelton, Powelton, Richland, (laughs) like so our um our producer has given us some of the symptoms of yellow fever. So some of the things that and I don't know if I heard this, I would probably leave Um, Mild cases. These are the mild ones. Fever, headache, nausea, and vomiting. Serious cases can cause fatal heart, liver, and kidney conditions. And it's it's spread by mosquitoes, but they didn't know that. I mean, they didn't know what was spreading it. Yeah, we don't even have treatments for it today, really. Nothing specific. Like, you treat the symptoms and then... Right. Yeah. 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 And Benjamin Rush in his... uh, Benjamin Rush was the main doctor kind of treating everybody during the yellow fever which he probably <laughs> killed <laughs> let me just drain all you can you'll feel better yeah yeah, I, yeah. rush, rush. We'll, we'll, we'll have we'll talk about Benjamin russia i mean in detail another time but i mean yes well yes. yes he did collect copious amounts of blood from people <laughs> he, he had he did accomplish a fair amount he, in the medical field he was as a well. did indeed and, <laughs> he, and I, he accomplished a lot in the medical field was one of the first people to come out in support of women's education, which actually he he dedicates his his speech on women's education to Elizabeth Powell by name. Oh. So so they were they were friends and they were Benjamin he's Rush not and Dracula. Samuel Powell were friends. Yes. He's not Dracula. Okay. He's not Dracula. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> there, there's one more little thing well, that, that, that's incredibly sad. <laughs> that's it. I know. Does. I know. Um, even though he had a chance to get out. There's one last little tidbit that, um, and this is sort of like a, a, a spicier anecdote that you've told me in the past about yes. Elizabeth post post Sam or post Samuel passing away. Yes. Um, there was another Washington that Elizabeth had like a you know a, a close friendship with, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. That she was quite close with Bushrod Washington, who was. George Washington's nephew. And Bushrod Washington actually was the one um, who inherited Mount Vernon after Martha Washington dies. But that's years later, you know, after when, so when when Elizabeth meets Bushrod, he's a little up-and-comer law student and he's in his early 20s and he develops quite a crush on her <laughs> and she eats it. For those who don't know, the Washington men have a proclivity to be have crushes on older women. Yes, they do. Yes. That's sort of a thing. And <laughs> yes. the Washington family yes. for some reason. Yes, yes. And I would I would compare slightly, you know, she's she's 20 years older than Bushrod, I think, so a little bit different than than George Washington and Sally Fairfax, but very similar in the way that they were like it's like puppy love for those young men Mm -hmm. and and they're they're helping like elizabeth helped him kind of become this this like 
strong young man and but did it through <laughs> like it was a very much those who tease you love you more moment I think or moments where there's some really wonderful letters where he writes back to his mother this is this is before Samuel dies this is in the 1780s and he writes back to his mother twice or three times about different anecdotes but one of them he is having his portrait painted and he actually asked the Powells which artists they liked better and they gave him you know their opinions and but then one day he writes this anecdote to his mother that he and Mrs. Powell were talking about virtues of painters and he has an artist named Henry Benbridge paint him eventually and so he asks or he says something about how Benbridge would be lucky to paint him that's somehow he says something like that and and then Elizabeth latches on to it. He's like, and Bushrod writes like, I knew she wouldn't be silent about this. I knew it. And so then she's like, oh, he's lucky to paint you? Well, you think yourself a perfect Adonis. <laughs> like, and then he starts kind of spinning. He, you could tell he's spinning out a little bit. And he says like, he started blushing and wished he was tongue tied because he couldn't, he was so embarrassed. But but knew that it was coming from a place of of love or something. And he also tells his mother that his, my favorite thing is that his friendship increases for her every day and he doesn't know when it will end. That's what he says about She's Elizabeth. She's got him totally Mrs. Robinson. Um, she totally has him Mrs. Robinson. And she also buys him um, a watch chain. And because he comes over to their house and she doesn't like the watch chain he's wearing. And he was very proud of it. But then she she buys him a new one and says, never wear the watch string you wore in my house ever again. And he's so proud of this watch, watch string. Like, oh, my God. Can you, can you please tell us the anecdote about when he stopped writing to her for a while? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, yes. Yes. It's one of my favorites. Um, So he, Bushrod, finishes up in Philadelphia and goes back to Virginia. And this is only, he's in Philly, I think. Lynn, you would know. How long was he in Philadelphia? Well, he was studying under James Wilson. He was studying. So I think he was there. It was a year or two. It was no longer than that. Yeah. No longer than that. Yeah. And so, well, so when he's back, he... um, Elizabeth is upset because Bushrod hasn't written to, she says to Samuel, but then she, um, she's upset because he's not written to them. So she finally sends him a letter, um, on New Year's day. She was one to give gifts on New Year's day that she, throughout her whole life, she's always giving gifts, but she, um, she says like, I've not heard from you since you left Philadelphia, but I, I can't blame your silence on, on the fact like that anything's uh, like that you're ignoring me or anything like that. So I'm going to send you these, these fur-lined gloves for your Herculean hands <laughs> that must have frostbite. That's the only reason why you haven't written me. So I'm sending you these gloves. And then five months later, she writes him another letter and she starts messing with him. We all, we all kind of, people kind of tend to think this letter is very much her teaching him manners and how to write to men first instead of women. But she's like, you like, you've sent me three letters over the past few months and I like 
you haven't written to Mr. Powell, so I'm not going to write you back, but I'm breaking my rule and writing you back since you've written me so much. And I'm like, well, he's gotten a letter from you <laughs> six months prior saying, here's some gloves because your hands must be frostbitten. And then she's turning around. And so he overcompensates, I think, and writes her three letters. Well, she's just teasing and then him. She, She's teasing him. Exactly. <laughs> and then the whole letter is full of like, make sure you're doing this and make sure you're doing that. And she sends him a book, but then she tells him to he's, she hears he's not very healthy and he needs to stop dancing so much and, and going to these dances and, and inhaling the vapors of candles. <laughs> and then near the end, she said, my, my habit of admonishing you still prevails, but as you know, the spirit in which this hand dictates this, like you won't be upset. So Clearly, she knows that she's constantly teasing him, too. But I think that was her way of showing love. <laughs> and in, in regards to the Herculean hands, I just want to ask our listeners to um, look up an image of Bushrod Washington when you have a chance, because he's yeah. a very skinny little guy. Um, and yes. so it just makes it a little more amusing. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He was a little guy. Um, but yeah, I just love that he writes three letters and just like clearly overcompensates because he had such a crush on her. He's like, oh, I can't write her only She's once. Like, yeah, stop texting me so much, basically. <laughs> yeah, stop texting me so much. Like, I'll get back to you when I get yeah, back to like, you. My husband's going to get um, mad. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, chill out. <laughs> Um, but so uh, but I yeah. wanted to ask you, Sam, before we run out of time, um, it, it's a two-part question, but I'll ask both. So maybe you can yeah. give the first part in context of the second part. So what originally drew you to working and researching on uh, Elizabeth Powell? Because I think that's an interesting area of study, given that there are you know, like her name isn't on any of the famous documents. She didn't sign, like she's not like part of in the in the meeting when the yeah. treaty is struck. She's not like what you would traditionally think is like the history maker. Um, yeah. But is, but, but also, but he clearly had a lot of influence on the people around her, clearly was a significant person in her time. And um, is that part of a trend that you're seeing in history now to sort of explore these other figures as opposed to just the people that were sort of in the room when the big thing, big important thing happened? Or was it just a personal sort of proclivity? Well, it it started as a personal thing and has spun into kind of this whole finding hidden figures and that sort of stuff. But it really started because I'm lucky enough to work at an institution that has a big collection of letters between her and the Washingtons. And so I just started digging into those and specifically the letter where she's writing to George Washington about running for president. I just was like, who is this woman? And then it all went from there. Um, but I just was really drawn to her spirit and her just like her humor and just the fact that she's woven into so many stories, but never talked about. Like the fact that she pops up in so many different people's letters and clearly had such an effect on so many people, but yet her story is never told on its own. So, so I think she fits in well with that narrative of, of women. A lot of times it's women whose stories are kind of understudied, but I think she has a level of importance that is a, 
I would put her among the ranks, if not higher than than Abigail Adams, and that's a big statement. <laughs> oh, but, but shots I just fired! Think, like, <laughs> oh, shots fired! Um, but she was she was there. She was like in Philadelphia. Abigail Adams wasn't, or not always. Um, but she did love Abigail. She loved Abigail, and and that's a whole other story. Her and John and Abigail. Uh, but but. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lynn, do you think that there's a lot of value in finding more of these? Does it, what effect, so say if we're going five years in the future and more more work like the work that Sam's doing on, mm-hmm. on Elizabeth is published, what, what effect do you think that has on the public's perception of history? History. Just, I think it's a, a unique project and a unique person to study. And, Absolutely. And, and I kind of want to, you know, Figure out why, why, what is it you need? Why is it, why do I have this weird intrinsic feeling that, that it br- will bring a lot of value? Because it, it makes it a fuller story. So even with, with George Washington taking a second term, all we've ever heard are these men who are writing to him and talking to him and saying, run for a second term. I never learned about Elizabeth Powell until, until exactly. Samantha. And so, and really when you read it, you think that is probably what tipped him more than any other letter. And so exactly. you're expanding the story. And sometimes that feels like you're changing the story or you're, you know, revising it. But the truth is you're just yeah. adding more perspectives to make it a fuller story. And that's what we need. And that's how I feel. You you stated it so eloquently. <laughs> Thank you. Like, I feel like her story, among many other men and women's, really does enhance the broader narrative of of the 18th century. And there's a whole other part of her life that you can read about in my future book. But uh, (laughs) she just the fact that she you see so much of what's going on in Philadelphia from the um, constitutional convention to the presidency to the change of presidents like to the to John Adams and, and yellow fever and just everything with Philadelphia becoming this, this important cosmopolitan city. She is there throughout all of that. And if you look closely enough, you can see her in every aspect of that. So, um, so yes, I, I think she very much matters. And I think the stories like this matter um, in the broader context. And we're thrilled that, that you're, history. you're teaching us and others about her yes, and that she's finally yes. going to get a voice. I think that's what I'm most yes. excited about. Me yeah, too. And you do a great job of bringing her to life. I mean, we talked more about her as a person, her personality and things like that. Then, I mean, as much time to talk on that as, as on any of the things that she did specifically, like the big political things. And I, that approach makes it so much more palatable. I don't know how many people, yes. you know, say to me like, Oh, when you, you know, say it like that that sounds like fun to learn about because it is <laughs> yes yes exactly and that's that's my approach to history in general i think you need to make these people come alive um and and in studying her i've realized so much about other historical figures and how funny they were and how real they were and and you know these were just people too her samuel george martha they they were all people like we are today so okay. I think that's, that's a good so place true. to end as, a, as any. <laughs> so, I think that's so, perfect. Ms. Sam, Yay. Samantha, thank you for being here. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, um, and where can we find you? Do you have um, social media? Uh, where can we? Yes, I. you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is slsnyder2. Um, and you can also find my website. It's samanthasnyder.org. Dot and org. yeah, and 
dot org. The dot com was dot com was taken. Fancier. I know dot org <laughs> is fancier. Sound, really sound like an organization. Empty <laughs> uh, yourself. The Snyder Corporation. <laughs> uh, but then then you can um, find some writing of mine coming out next year in a a book that is being published by University of Virginia Press that Lynn also has. Yeah, I was going to say not in. only yours, but <laughs> yeah. Lynn also has a chapter. Yeah, in that not book. only mine, but. Annette. Our dear Lynn, Dr. Lynn Price's uh, chapter yes, as well. Martha Washington, so, friend of on Martha Elizabeth, Washington. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, yeah, and eventually there will be a full book. So, yeah. well, so. we're very much looking forward so. to that. Yes, thanks we are. Me too. <laughs> thanks again for being here with us. Thank yes, you so much, Sam. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the full episode of Too Complicated for History. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please leave us a review on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on our social platforms at 2C4H underscore podcast, or check out the link in the description. This will keep you in the loop for show updates, new episodes, and exclusive content. Join us next episode with our guest, Dr. Rosemary Zagari, talking about a guy named Thomas Law and the incredibly famous family he married into. Too Complicated for History is a podcast from Primary Source Media. Produced by Patrick Long and Lynn Price Robbins. Edited and mixed by Curtis Fritsch. Opening theme music by Sheena Biratella.